good to see you. I'm really excited how many people show up. I mean, right? How many churches have you been to? More than one. More than this one? I've never been to a church that I remember that I could say, like, yeah, let's have a week long of every day is church and everybody's just going to show up every day. It'd be more like, well, you know, people would pick one day that week. If you could just come one day of the week, not here. You, just come. you don't even know who's going to preach. I'm just showing up. Showing up for the Lord. You're not here for a... Pre- and I think that's what's kind of cool, though, if you think about it, is that there's so many places and groups and, and you know, churches are not excluded that people show up for a person because they like the way somebody preaches or uh, they're very charismatic or something like that. And um, But this church isn't like that. Because you didn't know who was going to be here all week long, but you just keep showing up. I mean, Friday and Saturday is still a surprise, but I would imagine if you're coming, you're still coming. Sunday's not too surprising, I don't think. That's true. So you're not surprised. So you're not surprised. Okay, so our anchor verse this whole uh, week and a whole year actually is uh, engage the battle. It's Deuteronomy chapter 20. Verses uh, 2 through 4. It says this. When you are about to engage in battle, the priest is to come forward and address the army. He is to say to them, listen, Israel, today you are about to engage in battle with your enemies. Do not be cowardly. Do not be afraid, alarmed, or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for um, to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much, God. We just give you glory. We give you praise. Lord God, speak to your people tonight. Move me out of the way. Uh, allow people to focus in on what you have for them, Lord God. Because you have a message for us corporately, but each individual you want to speak to right into their lives, Lord God. I pray that you do that tonight. In your holy name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. I remember, man, it seems so long ago, 24 years ago, standing on those yellow footprints at Marine Corps boot camp. Where are my Marines at? How many? Raise your hand so I can see. Like half a dozen, seven or eight. That's right. Represent, you all should feel safe today. 24 years ago, I remember when I was in the Marine Corps for four years, I felt like that was the longest I had done anything in my whole life. You know, it's longer than high school, it's longer than anything at that point. You're like, you can't imagine it. Now it's been a lifetime ago. Um, But I still remember so much of what they taught me. It's like ingrained into your brain. You can't forget it. And when you talk to Marines all the time, they remember all this kind of stuff. They gave me this thing. They called it, it was called, we call it the book of knowledge. I talked to Joe. They called it the green monster. What was it? Was there another name that you guys had? Aaron, was there another name? Book of knowledge, right? San Diego, right? Yeah. We, we were pretty close, so they might have, the vernacular probably stayed the same. The book of knowledge, it was a book about this thick that you pretty much had to memorize. And it's amazing how much of that book and those facts I can still remember uh, today. Uh, the one thing that I think is different, though, about the Marine Corps than the other branches of service is that the Marine Corps teaches you extensively about your history and your heroes in the Marine Corps. Um, from the other service members I've talked to, they don't talk a lot about their specific history. 
Um, but we talk about battles and warriors. I bet if we all got together, we could come up with uh, several different battles and several different warriors that the Marine Corps talk about if we talked about it together. Um, and it's our responsibility as Marines to continue to carry on those legacies uh, and risk our life to uphold those those virtues. That's what we all went for. That's what we all learned. Um, there's no exit strategy from the Marine Corps. You fight till you're dead. You're a Marine forever. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know what that's like. Well, get used to it because you're a Christian and you have a life to give for your cause as well. That's the direction we're going. I'm not just telling stories. <laughs> you know, buy me a cup of coffee. I can, I can talk endlessly. But right now I'm, I'm trying to make a point. I'm going in a direction. <laughs> In the same way as Christians, you have access to an extensive history and traditions. You have the responsibility to carry that legacy. You have your own little book of knowledge that you can look and read anytime you want to and memorize in the middle of the night if you want to, just in case someone is yelling at you for information. You got to set the example for the next generation and be a spiritual warrior for Jesus. When you engage in the battle, there's three things that you must do. The first thing is you must change your perspective. You got to change your perspective. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 1. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than yours, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt is with you. The Medal of Honor is the highest award that you can be given, and it's given to those who have shown extraordinary heroism, risking their lives to go above and beyond the call of duty. Now, we say things like risking our lives all the time, and and, uh, maybe you have a friend that you've ridden with in the car, and you got out and said, I've risked my life. Um, I mean, seriously, though, you're driving 50 miles an hour head on with somebody else, and just a thin piece of yellow paint on the road somehow protects you. But but when when they're talking about the Medal of Honor and we're talking about risking your lives, we're talking about a situation where nobody would fault you if you didn't do it. Everybody would say, no, 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 I get it. No one's going to do that. But you did it anyway and you risked your life and you saved lives and you did great things. That's the kind of risking your life we're talking about. Not doing something stupid and foolish. We're talking about doing something heroic and miraculous for the sake of others. There have been a total of 3,520 Medal of Honor recipients and 69 are still living. Put that number in perspective. I was trying to gather a number. There's been uh, about 40 million Americans who've served in a time of war. So then if you add all the veterans in who served when it wasn't a time of war like myself, I mean, what's the number of veterans there's been in the United States? 50 million more? And only 3,520 Medal of Honor recipients. Um, 300 were Marines that won the Medal of Honor. And 110 of those were at the rank of private or private first class. Basically like the bottom of the ladder is a third of the Marine Corps Medal of Honor winners. And there have been 19 veterans who received the, the uh, have been given the award twice. And two Marines. Marines, help me out. You know their names? No, but who else? Smedley Butler. And who's the other one? Because that's the one I'm going to talk about. Dan Daly. That's right. 
Actually, just to be technical, there were seven Marines who won the award, but only two who won it for two separate conflicts. A bunch of others won it for the same conflict. They couldn't give them enough awards. That's what happened. Can anybody name any of the other 19 two Medal of Honor winners? Army, where are you at? All right. So a couple of you guys, good job. (laughs) So I want to talk about Dan Daly. He's said to be the greatest leatherneck and the most outstanding Marine of all time. Smedley Butler, the other two Medal of Honor winner uh, award person, uh, described Dan Daly as the fighting, well, the, the fightingest Marine he ever knew and said it was an object lesson just to have served with him. He stood five foot tall, five foot six inches tall and weighed 132 pounds. And he won his first Medal of Honor as a private in the Marine Corps. Five foot six. That's not the kind of Marine you picture when you're like two Medals of Honor. Follow me into battle, man. It's like, where'd he go? (laughs) Who said that? I wouldn't say that in front of him. You see the picture of this guy. It's stirring. During the Boxer Rebellion in China, Daly personally positioned himself alone along the Tartar Wall. Despite being exposed to sniper fire and other attacks, his small contingent of Marines helped protect the diplomatic personnel from being overrun. Against all odds, ready to pay the highest price, these 3,519 men and one woman had the perspective of facing a ferocious enemy, believing they could gain the victory. From our biblical history, you find a man with that same perspective in Jonathan. We're looking in 1 Samuel. uh, Let me catch you up. In 1 Samuel, King Saul has just had his army routed by the Philistines. But his son Jonathan was not ready to give up the fight. I'm going to not read the whole 13 and 14. I'm going to skip through. But let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5 through 7. It says this. The Philistines also gathered to fight against Israel. Watch this. 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I'm guessing they didn't count each one of them, but it must have looked spectacular. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. They hid in caves and thickets among rocks in holes and cisterns. They were not Marines. <laughs> some, Hebrew, some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan uh, to the land of Gad and Gil, uh, Gilead. Saul, however, was sitting in Gilgal and all his troops were gripped with fear. So they see the odds, they see the enemy, which is spectacular, and they're hiding out in caves and rocks, running across the river, going backwards. The king doesn't even know where all his people are. He's in some other town. They're having a hard time here. They're clearly not prepared for battle. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6, uh, it says, Jonathan said to his attendant who was carrying his weapon, so, John, so Jonathan is King Saul's son. And so he is with the group, but he's in another area. 
And so he has a sword and he's ready to fight and he does not like the fact that they got routed by the Philistines. So in 1 Samuel chapter 14 verse 6, Jonathan says to his attendant who carried his weapons, Come on, let's cross over to the garrison of the uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And then skip ahead to verse 11. They let themselves be seen by the Philistines, as Jonathan and his armor bearer. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes. Where have they been hiding? The men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer. Come on up. We'll teach you a lesson, they said. Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and the armor bearer behind him. Jonathan cut down, uh, cut them down and the armor bearer followed. Uh, armor bearer followed, finishing them off. Imagine this back to back. Jonathan's in front, armor bearer's in back. Jonathan's chopping them down and the armor bearer's finishing them off. It's like fighting team unit through the field. In the first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half acre field. That's a medal of honor worthy fighting right there (laughs) against those odds with that kind of army in the background, just taking people out, going across because the Lord was with them. Now, Jonathan had a different perspective than Saul did on the battle and a different perspective about the enemy. enemy. Clearly, Saul tried to do it all on his own strength, but Jonathan relied on the Lord's power and leading. That's what made the difference here. When you're engaged in battle, your perception is going to be crucial. How you perceive things, what your perspective is on it, it's going to be important. On Monday night, Eva said, by focusing on our enemies and our fears, we make them seem even bigger. So to stop focusing on your big fears and start focusing on your big God. It's true. You spend so much time staring at those fears. They start to be all you can see. So take your eyes off that and start looking at how big God is and how he can overcome these things. We need to stop complaining about our lives and recognize the opportunity God has given us to show his glory, his His provision, and his power to others. I'm terrible at complaining, but I just save it for certain people. So... Some of you, and you know who you are, get the brunt of the constant complaining. The rest of you are like, man, he's so easygoing. Everything's so great. And inside I'm like, so hard not to do. But I'm going to stop doing it. This is the year. The year of no complaining. We're seven days in, and I think about 80%. So we're trending. We are definitely trending. But we have so much to be thankful for. And our God is so good, we need to stop complaining. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. The second thing is you must change your attitude. You got to change your attitude. Embrace the suck. Yeah, that's what, that's what I learned in the Marine Corps. That's the saying. It's like a thing. I'm sure everybody said in the army too, right? Probably in the other services. Embrace the suck. It's a mantra. This is what it means. It means knowingly looking forward to and enjoying things that are extremely unpleasant and often unavoidable. Embrace it. You know what that looks like? 
False motivation. It's good stuff. It ain't, if it ain't raining, we ain't training. No, we, Marines don't wait around in the barracks like, Hey, it's raining. Grab your stuff. Let's go train. What it means is it doesn't matter what the weather is. You're going to go do it anyway. It doesn't matter how hard it is or how hot it is. We're going to do it anyway. Embrace the hardship. It applies to all areas of life. It's a simple principle that can change the attitude. It's, it's changing your attitude within your situation. So often we sit back and wait for our situation to change and think that that's going to make everything different. But the reality is if you have a bad attitude in one situation, you're going to have a bad attitude even if it's a good situation. Things could be great for you and you're going to complain. You're going to be in Disneyland complaining about how long the lines are for the rides. You know what? You can't. I'll let you complain about the ticket prices. Yes, that's not funny, is it? I feel like, oh my gosh. It's true. It's true. Now, Americans spend a lot of time and energy trying to avoid going through things that are uncomfortable. They really do. And I'm no different. So here's another one of my New Year's resolutions. Are you ready? Because you can hold me accountable to it. And so far, so good. Like I said, we're a weekend. I'm going to run a thousand miles this year. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I said in the past that I can't do it. It can't be done, but I'm doing it. But here's the problem. Is what I've noticed this January already is that it rains a lot in Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you're going to get some miles in, it's going to rain. Like, dang it. So this week I was like, okay, it's been raining. It's okay. But if I'm going to hit my goal, I got to do something here. So I got to make it happen because running in the rain sucks. But this is what I thought. If this is going to be a goal and it's going to be important to me, then I can spend some money on it. So let me get on the internet and let me find out what the pros wear. Need some good gear like the pros wear because, you know, this isn't the only place it rains. So I got on there and I looked at a couple articles and I found this article, seven ways to, to run in the rain. I'm like, well, shoot, that article's for me. <laughs> this is exactly what I was looking for. It's amazing how Google could figure that out. <laughs> but the article was basically this. Forget the rain gear. If you run in the rain, you're going to get wet. So just, so just embrace it, revel in it. It's going to make you so strong. Apparently there's no coat you can just buy to go run in the rain and stay dry. No, because you're going to get all nasty, sweaty on the inside of that coat to begin with. So you're going to be wet from sweat or you're going to be wet from rain. Either way, you're going to get wet from the rain. You cannot avoid it. And don't wear cotton. That's a no-no. Don't wear cotton. There's a bunch of great synthetic fabrics and things like that. So that's what I learned. If you run in the rain, you're going to get wet. It will make you tougher and don't wear cotton. So if you're going to do that this week or this year, a thousand miles for you, I'm setting you off on the right foot. You missed a week, but you can catch up. The question is, do you want to be a wet warrior or a wet coward? Because you're going to get rained on either way. The rain's coming. In fact, it was already here. So are you going to be a wet warrior or are you going to be a wet coward? It's like Pastor Crystal wrote in her book. A runner runs no matter the weather, no matter what. Have you guys read her book yet? Yeah. Pastor Crystal's book? Who hasn't read her book? You better read it. Hashtag run your race. Go find it. I think it's on Amazon. Is it on Amazon? It's here. It's here. 
find a way. It's really good. And you might actually want to start running because you'll be inspired. And you, you could at least make it a week as a runner if you get her book. I guarantee that. Because what else are you going to do? You know, because honestly, like walking out like like nothing matters in the rain. It's so gangster. Because you know what's not? It's not. You look foolish. And you're getting wet anyway. You got to be like. Just rain coming everywhere. Who do you want to be? Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 through 13. I don't say this out of need for I have learned uh, how to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know both how to have little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether we, whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Even run a thousand miles in the rain. You need to act as if until it is. You know what I'm saying? Act as if. That means act as if something is already that way until it becomes that way. You know, another thing that is very popular in Marine Corps and probably the other services too, because they suck equally, is false motivation. Now, it sounds bad when I say false motivation because like that's so fake. Yeah, I mean, in essence, yes, it is fake. It's fake motivation, but it's the ability to get yourself motivated to do stuff that you hate anyway. This is what it looks like, right? Okay, before we leave, I need you guys to take all these chairs and set them all up in the parking lot in the same situation and roll up all the carpet and then bring all the chairs back in. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. Stacking chairs. No, I'm first. Me, I'm doing it. Who's I'm rolling the carpet. Can I roll the carpet? Yes. Roll the carpet. Is it okay if we sweep the floor too? Sweeping the floor, rolling the carpet. That's right. Woo! Every night. That's false motivation. I'm telling you, next time you have to do something you hate, start doing that. And I guarantee in about a half an hour, you will love it. Your body, your, your body has convinced your brain that you actually want to do this. You're like, yeah. But yeah, man, that's great. You want to stack chairs too? Yeah, we do. everybody does. It's what we do. We're chair stackers. It's easy. If you act like you're excited about it, you will become excited about it. It really works. Act as if you're not tired. When I get out of bed in the morning and the, and the alarm goes off and I'm like, oh, I can't, you know, I won't open my eyes and I'm feeling my way out of the room and... And I'm standing by the coffee maker, leaning against the wall. It's that feeling that you don't really actually want to wake all the way up because you think maybe there's a chance that you don't really have to do this today. You'll be tired the whole day. Get up, flip on some lights, and just act like you're not tired. Let's do this. 
If you start acting like you're not tired, I guarantee you, you won't be tired. Or at least you won't bum everybody else out and make them tired. <laughs> Act like you're not hungry. Seriously, take the scowl off your face. It's fine. Nobody got dinner tonight. You're all here. Well, I mean, I did. I'm pretending. See, you guys are all like, what? Not hungry. We're good. If you act as if you, uh, if you only do what, see, here's the thing. There's a guy, another guy I worked with. It's great. I say, you know, why don't you get frustrated with all the stupid stuff we have to do at work? And he's, I don't do anything I don't want to do. I'm like, yeah, but, um, (laughs) but but we have to do this. The the key behind I don't have to do anything I don't want to do is you tell yourself and convince yourself you want to do that thing. It's not that you get out of doing stuff. It's that you say, no, I want to do this. I, I want to be here. I want to do these things. Well, being here means you have to do this. Well, then I want to do that. Because I don't do anything I don't want to do. So everything I do is something I want to do. Do you see how that works? How about you act as if you love that person? Act as if you care about their feelings. Act as if you sympathize with what they may be going through. Act as if their habits don't drive you crazy. I was reading in a book and I was trying to figure out what book it was that I read. I don't know if it was Mere Christianity. It was one of the books I had listened to when I uh, had my two and a half hour daily commute uh, a year or two ago that I acted like I really liked. <laughs> Actually, I didn't, but I should have. I was really, that was one of the things I complained about. Um, but it was in a book I was uh, listening to or reading. I wish I could figure it out. But it was the, basically that was the premise of acting as if it were true. Uh, was if you physically behave in that manner and you act that way, you will actually start to be that way. So if you have a person that you really don't like and their bad habits grind, maybe they smack their food or maybe they, they're a loud talker or maybe they're a close talker or whatever and they bug you or, or maybe they did something awful and you're just like, every time you look at them, you just can't stand them. So when you see them and you talk to them or you deal with them and you're in your mind, you're just like, oh, I can't stand that guy. He's so irritating. Oh, he's so annoying. And you tell yourself these things. They will become even more annoying to you and you will hate them even more and you'll be mean to them even more and be spiteful even more. And really, honestly, a lot of times you're really good at hiding that and it's just passive aggressive inside yourself. So you're really just making yourself upset. But the reality is, uh, what it said was that if you will just start doing things as if you like that person. So, like, you know, what would you do for a person you like? Maybe hold their door, hold the door open for them, greet them, uh, say, well, you know, what would you do to somebody you like? Hey, how was your week this week? And then you stand and you actually listen and participate with what they're saying. And maybe they got spit balling up in the corner of their mouths and you're like, whoa. <laughs> But you're just like, hmm, yeah, I see what you're saying. Literally, see what you're saying right now. <laughs> the more you treat them with love and compassion and give them that midweek phone call to ask them about how their week was, even when you don't really think you're going to be interested in it, the more you do that, the more you'll find that you do like them and you do love them 
because you're treating that way. Whatever you're doing is, is making more of whatever you're doing. Whatever you're seeking out, you're going to end up finding. That's just what happens. So act as if until it is. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. I'm anxious a lot of the time. I just, um, I have anxiety sometimes. I get kind of triggered. I get at big groups. So sometimes I'm like, hey, you know, I just got really busy. I know something I'm doing way up here because I just don't like being in the group and all the loud voices. And then I can feel like I can uh, see what's going on in the back. But the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So even if you still feel anxious, you can act as if you don't. By being in prayer and supplication, taking it to the Lord. And maybe inside you're like, oh, I'm still really anxious. But on the outside and with God, you're like, I don't want to be anxious. I'm just going to keep trusting the Lord and trusting the Lord and leaning on the Lord until you're not anxious anymore. Do you think problems just magically disappear? I mean, sometimes the Lord is a great healer. He can heal all things. But sometimes things just linger. You think when you look around and people seem like their lives are all together, first of all, they're not. That's you just projecting, thinking that everybody else has it better than you. But secondly, people deal with stuff all the time. They could be acting as if. They could be uh, uh, having a good attitude. They could be saying, good. Bad traffic today? Good. You have the choice of the attitude you're going to bring to the table. Either you're going to fully trust and rely on God and let him overcome your fears and anxieties and addictions and everything else. Or you're going to stay over here and just say, I can't do it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace... Uh, of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything, if there's any moral excellence, as if there is uh, any praise, dwell on these things. See how your little book of knowledge just filled that gap for you? Do this and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your heart and your mind. It will protect you. You know, it's funny because sometimes people want to know how everything works. And me too, man. I'd love it if you had a question for me. I like to figure out like how the dots connect. Because it's one thing just to say, hey, be anxious for nothing. And you're like, great. How do I do that? And, and so then you can take, go over here and you can say, well, here's these scriptures. And when you spend time in prayer, reflect on these scriptures, then that does this. And then that relieves, you know, I love to connect the dots. But what's interesting is you see here, um, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Sometimes it just, I don't know. I don't know. The Bible says, if you do this, you will get these results. And I don't know how, how that works necessarily, but... That's the formula. So start doing this and you will start getting this. 
Start leaning and trusting on the Lord in prayer and supplication. And you will have peace that passes all understanding that protects your mind from all the madness out there in the world. I know I want that. Dwell on good things. Don't dwell on bad things. The Apostle Paul is a great biblical example of what it means to have uh, embrace hardship and control your own attitude. Uh, Look in Romans chapter 5 verse 3 through 5. But we also glorify in tribulations, knowing that in tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the hearts, uh, by the, um, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I wonder if there were other believers, um, and other of the early Christians who, uh, envied Paul. And thought, it must be nice. It must be nice, Paul. Everybody reads your letters. It must be nice. When Paul shows up, everybody shows up to church to listen. Must be nice. But when you think about the hardships that he went through and the trials and tribulations, I'm not sure I could think of anybody who, who, any, anybody besides Jesus who went through so much. Who dealt with so much. He knows what it's like to embrace hardship. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, verses 9 and 10. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness insults catastrophes persecutions and in pressures because of christ for when i am weak then i am strong that's so interesting he takes pleasure in those things he's clearly not avoiding hardship we spend so much time and energy trying to avoid hardship think of the things you're missing if you spend all your time trying to avoid hardship i mean we just saw in that last verse, the, uh, the Romans verse, he talks about, um, he says the tribulations produce perseverance. Persevere, persevere through hard things. The more hard things he goes through, the more hard things he can go through. Persevering through hard things gives him character. And that character he developed makes him hopeful. And that hope doesn't disappoint because God has poured out his hearts in the Holy Spirit. It's all connected. You can't avoid hard things and then expect to run into great things. How is God going to use you if you won't even do anything hard? Stop complaining and change your attitude. Stop complaining. Change your attitude. The third thing is you must choose your weapon. Now, the Marine Corps has a variety of devices designed to kill people. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, I went in, when I went in, it was between Gulf War conflicts. So we really weren't in a time of war. It had been probably since the Vietnam War, since we had like some legit hardcore, you know, war and fighting. So the, the focus, I felt like, had shifted a little bit. Um, and so it, it wasn't, it, you know, there was a lot of, um, 
a lot of awesomeness that still existed. And, and there's a lot of ways. It, 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 so I think what some people thought was that going into the Marine Corps was a good way to get college money. But the reality is they're training you to kill people. That's uh, right. Like at the end of the day, that's your job. And they have lots and lots of ways to do that. One amazing way is one highly trained and equipped Anglico Marine can coordinate a hellish rain of fiery artillery bombs and missiles to demolish the enemy. Yeah. Like get on the radio, like, hey, this is where we need you to send the bombs. And then the whole world explodes and all the enemies die. Yeah, they do that. I never did that, but Marines don't mess around. But did you know that the Marines are the only ones who still still yell, fix bayonets? No, none of you knew that. (laughs) Marines are the only service that still issue and use bayonets. Do you know what a bayonet is? It's connected to the end of the rifle. It's for hand-to-hand combat. It's like a, historically it was like a, a sharp sword or dagger that you fixed to the end of the rifle. And then you could use it like a spear. Yeah. Well, it's just one of the many ways to kill people. Today's version's different. It's more of a utility knife. I think there was a picture of it earlier. It looks kind of like a utility knife, but it's still uh, sharp enough to pierce body armor. So it's used for lots of purposes. Now, the, the reality is, and, and the reason why the Marines still use it, is, and the idea behind it, is the Marines never going to stop fighting. So at some point you're going to run out of bombs. And at some point, you're going to run out of bullets, but you're never going to run out of... Uh, you, you, you never uh, run out of the will to fight. You literally will just keep fighting. So at some point in the middle of the battle, when you feel wore out and you've run out of bullets, you're going to have to put the bayonet on the end of the rifle and keep fighting. That's what you do. You never stop fighting. There is no retreat in the battle. In the middle of the battle, you need to keep moving. Now, you've been given your own spiritual bayonet to fight to the death with. The Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. When the battle cry goes out, when the call goes out to fix fix bayonets, will you know how to use it? When it's time to fight the battle and you're in the middle of the war and you need your sharp sword, will you know how to use it? The problem is most of us only know how to use a butter knife. Small, dull, non-serrated blade. It's barely a match for the refrigerated butter. Better defrost that thing. It's not going to spread right. I think it's probably because we spend more time eating than we do fighting. Y'all know where the butter knives are, right? Where's your bayonet? Our fight is a spiritual one. It's already happening. You need to be engaged. You need to be engaged in the battle. It's already happening around you. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. 
For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the uh, demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God to take every thought captive to obey Christ. The reality here is that, that you are an active participant in this thing. The victory is the Lord's. He has the power, but he uses you to to win the battle. And so what kind of weapon are you going to be in the hands of the Lord? Are you going to be a butter knife or are you going to be a bayonet? What's he going to be able to do with you? What kind of weapon are you going to be for the Lord? Your participation is required. Final verse is this, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. In the hands of the Lord, you're going to be a bayonet or a butter knife. This is a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call. This is supposed to be encouraging. This, This whole week isn't about condemnation and making you feel like you're missing the mark. It's about wake up, let's go. It's about stop sitting down and start getting ready to fight. You are in the battle. Consecrate yourself. Get prepared. You're in the battle now. What are you going to do? Fix bayonets. Let's go. Let's go. Are you ready to be in the battle? Let's go. Are you guys ready to be in the battle? Are you ready? Amen. Awesome. All right. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Now you may be in this place and, and you've never, uh, you've never known Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, the battle rages around you, but you're not equipped. You don't have the tools and you don't have the power and you realize it now that you need the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. That you need a savior to, savior to save you. You need forgiveness of your sins. You need to repent. So if that's you tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior tonight, we want to pray with you. So if that's you tonight, why don't you just raise a hand. I want to have somebody be able to pray with you. Give your life to Jesus Christ tonight. No better time, no better place. Now maybe you're in this place and you have just been gone for a long time. You've been gone. You haven't been fighting the battle. And the Lord is calling you back. And tonight, it, it was that, it was that, it's that moment. Tonight's the moment you say, I'm done uh, being away from the Lord. I'm done denying Christ and, and I want to come back to Christ. If that's you, you're in the right place. If you want to recommit your life to Christ, you're in the right place. But maybe you're in here and you just realize that you've been a butter knife for the past several years and you need to get in the fight. If that's you, now is the time. Now is the time to do that. Don't waste another minute. Now is the time to engage in the battle. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We just give you so much praise and glory. You are the victory, Lord God. You are the only way. Like Pastor Crystal said, not Jesus plus, just Jesus. You are what we are here for and what we desire, Lord. Give us the strength to fight this battle, Lord God. Give us the direction. Give us your word, Lord God. You've given us the tools. Give us the courage to take on the fight. 
love you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Remember, there's Friday, and remember, there's Saturday. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.